31, hear the word of the Lord. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judge, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the, the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were thrown, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire upon them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command, and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. The word of the Lord. Well, Christmas is upon us, and many of us are starting. By the way, Black Friday, who came up with that? Sounds like the Black Plague, and it's very similar, actually. But some of you may be trying to figure out what is the perfect gift that stocking supper to give that special someone, and I've come up with it. It's a new book that's recently come out. The Encyclopedia Paranoica. <laughs> Fantastic book. The indispensable guide to everyone and everything you should be afraid or worried about. Fascinating read. If you're having trouble going to sleep, Encyclopedia Paranoica. It's unbelievable, as I've read this, how many things can kill, injure, or maim me. Let me give you a couple of examples of things that you would think are fairly benign, but are going to be troublesome. Peaches. Wow. Nine different pesticides put on peaches in the last three or four weeks. And those fuzzy, cute peaches, they trap the pesticides, making them one of the most dangerous fruits on the face of the earth. Peaches. Some of you will be going to the mall where you'll be having to ride up and down on escalators. Every year, 10,000 people are sent to the emergency room because of accidents on escalators. Talcum powder has been linked to ovarian cancer, which does not express itself until 20 years later from when you've used it. Talcum powder, who knew? How about this? British researchers who were remodeling hospitals did a survey of kids and they asked the question, what do you think about clowns? Of 250 children, every single one expressed a deep dislike of clowns. <laughs> I still am afraid of clowns. So you never know, clowns can make you scared. This is the one that scares me the most. This is the one that gives me nightmares. Armadillos. Those cute, cuddly, uh, spiny-plated creatures. They're so delightful, but you don't want to pick one up or eat one because they are the one animal in North America who carries the disease of leprosy. Yeah, I know. Who knew? So armadillos, if you're having a, a snack over Christmas and somebody brings you armadillo, make sure to run away. And there will be no armadillos at the grill and chill, okay? You will be sent away. You know, there's all sorts of fears, isn't there? You know, all sorts of phobias we can talk about, you know, the fear of all of these different things. But there's one fear that I want to talk about today, which is called phobophobia. And phobophobia is the fear of fear. It's the fear of being afraid. And you know, as I think to myself, why is this the most crippling of fears? I think it's because this, that we're constantly on alert 
for whatever it is around the corner that may cause us to fear. You never know when it's going to happen. You never know when a fear is going to come up. And so it's one of the most uh, dangerous phobias to have, the fear of fear. It cripples us. It stops us from living because we don't know what's going to come around the corner. And thus we hide. We insulate ourselves. We try to protect ourselves from that which could cause us fear. But the truth of the matter is, no matter how hard we try to run from fear, fear always finds us. So what is the solution of being um, uh, free from the fear of fear? As I read this passage, I believe that this passage is communicating to us this, that fear cannot be conquered by controlling things that are out there. Fear can only be conquered by surrendering to God in here. We're going to look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These people who were confronted with great fears outside and how they dealt with them. There are three things I want to talk about, these three normal guys who were put in this situation. Number one, their identity. Who they chose to be even before this calamity came upon them. Number one, their identity. Number two, the confidence they had because of who they put their identity in. How they could answer Nebuchadnezzar amidst this great fear. And number three, the presence of God who was with them because of them placing their confidence in Him. Because fear cannot be conquered by controlling things that are out there. Fear will only be conquered, conquered by surrendering to God in here. Well, let's look at this first point, identity. The identity of Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and Daniel. Those were their original names. They were, Israel, they were uh, Israelites. And when the Babylonians came along and they captured Israel, they proceeded to deport large numbers of people to Babylon and to other places. And so these three guys, Hananiah, excuse me, four, Mishael, Azariah, and Daniel, were taken to the land of Babylon. And Babylon was ruled by Nebuchadnezzar, who was the most powerful of the kings of Babylon. He was a great and powerful man, and his land holdings extended all the way through Iran and Iraq and Turkey and Egypt and Israel and Syria. He had a tremendous swath of land, and he was tremendously active. Indeed, the city of Babylon was literally 400 square miles, about five times the size of London, was just his capital city. He was a great and powerful man. And so we see here that he had a practice, the Babylonians, that they would go ahead and take people out of the land, they would repatriate uh, them, they would train them, they would seek to merge them into the Babylonian culture, and they'd literally, literally leave the land fallow upon which they came, and other tribes and nations would come in and take over the land so they would have no place to go back to. And so we see in Daniel 1.3 that the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were, they were to be trained for three years, and then they were to enter the king's service. So these four men went through this process. They were selected. And they were given new names, Babylonian names. They were trained in the language of the Chaldeans. They were given the food of the king. They were basically called to be a part of this culture, to leave their old ways. 
And so the challenge for these four young men is how do we hold on to our identity in the face of all the pressures that are upon us? We see that they were not quite ready to leave their identity and assimilate into Babylon. You'll remember that incident in the beginning where Daniel went and he said, look, you're feeding us all this rich food, but please just try feeding us water and vegetables and we guarantee you we'll look better after 10 days than anyone else. And so they did. See, they were trying to hold on to who they were in the midst of the pressures coming at them from outside. And because of Daniel interpreting this dream, they were promoted to positions of power. These guys, Meshach, Abednego, and Shadrach, were made governors, political appointees in Babylon. They had power. But along comes Nebuchadnezzar, and he creates this statue, whatever it is. It's this tall golden statue, about 90 feet high. And what Nebuchadnezzar is doing is he's uniting all of his kingdoms. He had brought them all together in political unity, but he was very concerned about religious unity because he understood that what could break these people apart were their religious beliefs. And so he basically said, we need to crush all of that. And so he made this giant statue on the plain of Dura. Now the truth of the matter is, it probably wasn't a statue at all. The dimensions of the statue were 10 to one which are the dimensions of an obelisk. So if you go to the Washington Monument, 10 to one. It was probably a tall golden pillar. And he assembled everyone, all of the uh, people in each of his kingdom, thousands of leaders to come and to bow down and worship this. This plain of Dora, it could have been the same place as the plain of Shinar. If you remember the Tower of Babel, very, very similar. And so all of these people, these thousands of people, are assembled in this plain of Dura. And basically what they think the plain of Dura was, was Nebuchadnezzar was expanding his kingdom, and he'd always build the walls first. And so this was its wall place, and there are these furnaces where they, would, they were kilns where they'd bake the bricks. And so everybody comes in, they shut the walls, and Nebuchadnezzar tells them what to do. Whenever you hear the music, go ahead and bow down. If you don't, you'll be thrown into the furnace. And so when the music starts, everybody bows down, except for three. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can you see the picture of that? 4,000 people down, three standing. You see, Leviticus 26.1 forbade them to bow down to a sacred pillar. That was who they were. And so as they stood and everyone's looking around at them, they were summoned by the front, people saying, look at what these guys are doing. And Nebuchadnezzar summons, summons them and he says, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the music, if you are ready to fall down and worship, very good. But if you do not worship, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing fire. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? See, Nebuchadnezzar is basically saying, the only God here is me. And if you don't bow down to me, you'll be thrown into the furnace. Whatever God you're worshiping right now, whatever God you're standing for, will not be able to deliver you. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. 
I wonder myself, how were these men able to say this when none other did? I think the answer is this, that they had already defined their identity. They had already made a decision of who they were, of what they stood for, regardless of whatever was going to occur. See, the truth of the matter is circumstances don't define our identity. They reveal our identity. The choices we make reveal the people that we are. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego already knew the people they were. They'd already settled the matter. And so when the time came to either stand or fall, they had settled, and so they set their course. You know, the truth of the matter is intentions don't determine destinations. Decisions determine destinations. And these three men had made their decision, come hell or high water, they would bow to no other God but the God Most High. I remember a situation for me when I was a first year at the University of Virginia. I had become great game, by the way, yesterday, wasn't it? Go Hoons. They really finished strong. Um, Tech wins again. Okay, I was at UVA. I had become a Christian my senior year in high school. And so at UVA, like many other schools, they go ahead and they put you with a bunch of people you don't know. You live in a suite with them for a year, and then you can live with whoever you want. So I was in a great, you know, with a great group of guys. They were fun. They were nice. Uh, they didn't know Christ from a hole in the wall. Okay? And so they loved doing what a lot of college first years doing. They were partiers. Uh, they were great guys. And right away, I felt the tinge, the challenge of, look, this is the person I'm trying to become. And these guys are going in this direction. But they were my friends. We were together. And so the decision came. It was uh, time to decide where I was going to live the next year. And so I had been going to this thing called Freshman Fellowship, and I didn't know these guys well, but they were Christians. I could kind of tell they're going in the same direction as I am. But my buddy said, hey, we're getting a place. We want you to come be with us. And I knew those guys. And so as I look, I see there are two different paths, two different decisions. And I knew if I went this decision, there were some choices I was making. And if I went this decision, there were some choices I was making. And so at the end of the day, kind of closing my eyes and on a wing and a prayer, I said to these guys in the freshman fellowship, I want to live with you. And it changed my entire course of life. It's how I met my wife. It's how I ended up being here in front of you today. See, it's decisions that determine destinations, not intentions. And the stronger your identity, the stronger of who you have decided you are going to be, the stronger the foundation that you have, when you're standing in the face of temptation. See, these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were brought into this enemy nation, and they had a certain amount of latitude that they could live, to love, to represent, to even govern. But there were lines, certain lines, that they could not cross. And they had peace when they came up against those lines because they'd already settled the question of who their identity is. See, they've already said yes to God before they even knew the question. They said, I'm all in, even before they knew the question. See, sooner or later, your identity is going to intersect with calamity. And the question is, who is going to win? You cannot control your situations as hard as you try, but you can control who you are. So the question is, who are you? What do you identify with? What's the foundation upon which you stand? 
I'm the vice president of sales for an important company. I have a position of importance. I'm paid well. I'm in the right neighborhood. My foundation is my profession. Maybe it's my husband. I took his name. I live in his house. He's going to watch over me and take care of me. That is my short and certain foundation, and he'll never fail me. Maybe it's my appearance. I was born as one of the minority that happened to be beautiful or handsome. And thus I trust in the way that I look it will be able to get me what I need. But whatever it is that we put our foundation on doesn't give us the strength that when 3,000 people around us bow down that we'll be able to stand. Will it give us the strength when you are a, a young lady and you're with your boyfriend and you really like him but he's pushing you to go physically further than you want to go. And you're afraid to lose him, but at the same time, this is the person you want to be. Or whether it's in your job and your boss is doing some unethical business practices, and you know it's wrong, but at the same time, the economy is bad and you really need this job, what do I do? Sooner or later, your identity is going to clash with reality. The question is, who is going to win? Because fear cannot be conquered by controlling things out there. It can only be conquered by controlling things in here. And here are the rest of my notes. Oh, jeez, where are my notes? Where are my notes? Okay. This brings me to my second point. Your confidence. Okay? These guys have made a decision about their identity, and it leads directly to their confidence. Daniel 3.12. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So Nebuchadnezzar is furious. He's upset. He's angry. He brings these guys forward. And he says, look, if you don't obey what it is I'm telling you to do, I'm going to throw you into the furnace. And who is going to save you? But I love these guys' answer. They not only defy Nebuchadnezzar the first time, they defy him again, to his face. The most powerful person on the planet, by the way. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I love this at the beginning. No need to answer you in this matter. If you look at the Hebrew, you can just as easily translate it as, we don't have anything left to say about this. We've made a decision that we will worship God. Because they believe that God would watch over them, whether in life or in death. See, there were three particular groups out there on the plain of Dura. Okay, the first was King Nebuchadnezzar, who believed the strength was in himself, that he bowed to no man but himself. That was his confidence. And then there were all the satraps and governors and all these people. Their confidence was in Nebuchadnezzar. Right? As long as we play the game and we bow to him, we're going to be okay. But these three guys, their confidence was in the Lord. And as Nebuchadnezzar looks at these guys and cannot believe they're defying him, he becomes angrier and angrier. Nebuchadnezzar throws a temper tantrum. It says here that he became enraged and his face was changed. Literally in the Hebrew, that he became hot. See, before the furnace was ever started, there was a furnace in Nebuchadnezzar's heart and mind. 
It's interesting, isn't it, that true devotion brings peace, but false reliance brings anger and frustration. And so Nebuchadnezzar uh, gives the command, heat the furnace seven times hotter. Okay, this is probably one of the brick kilns. And seven in Hebrew is kind of like the number of perfection. So what he was really saying is, heat this thing up as hot as it can be. He's angry. He's upset because of the way that they're acting. See, the truth of the matter is the confidence of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was in God regardless of the circumstances. And whether to live or to die, they were committed. <coughs> There was an era of missionary uh, zeal around the turn of the 19, uh, 20th century. So in the 1800s, there was a big missionary push in London, uh, in England, and the United States to send missionaries. And there, there was this group of people that they called one-way missionaries. See, they realized that they were probably going to go, uh, you know, share the gospel, and they probably weren't coming back. And so they packed all of their belongings in a coffin, and they bought a one-way ticket because they understood that I was probably coming back in that particular coffin. And they knew they'd never return home. And the truth of the matter is many didn't. One of them was a guy named A.W. Milne. He was one of those missionaries that felt called to a tribe of headhunters in the New Hebrides. All the other missionaries of this tribe had been martyred, but Milne didn't shrink back into safe Christianity. He went and lived among the tribe for 35 years, found favor, and never returned home. The tribe buried him and wrote the following words on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light, but when he left, there was no darkness. A.W. Milne made the decision. My identity is God's, and so my confidence is in me, uh, in God, regardless of whether I stay here or I go visit a tribe of headhunters in New Hebrides. See, everybody identifies with something. I do, and you do as well. And you may identify with something with tremendous zeal, but that doesn't mean that it's right. See, it's not only to, about identifying with your whole heart, it's about identifying with the right thing. Maybe you identify with politics. You know, if we can just get the right person in power, we can just get the right legislation going, then all of our problems are going to be taken care of and we can have confidence in the future. But as we sit back, we realize that's not going to happen, is it? Maybe you have confidence and you identify in your abilities. You know, I did it my way. I can make this thing work. I'm strong. I can make it happen if I just have confidence in myself. Friends, sooner or later, you're going to get older and you're going to realize that you're mortal, just like all the rest of us. Maybe your confidence is in your bank account. I keep adding up the numbers and the dollars so I can be impregnable. I can be confident for the future. But the truth of the matter is that in this economy and in this world, nothing is certain. Indeed, even our investments. See, the sign that what you have identified with is right is confidence when calamity strikes. But the sign that you have identified in something wrong is the fear that you have when you discover and have the sinking sense that whatever you've trusted in cannot deliver you. You know, sometimes we, many of us who are Christians, we're great, we know it's the Lord is the answer, but we're half-hearted. Okay, we kind of hedge our bets a little bit. 
You know, it's not a question of whether he can save you or not. It's a question of whether he will or not. And so we play our bets. You know, we put half of the money on red and half of the money on black just in case. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego took all of their chips and they put it on God. And they said, he is our identity and therefore he is our confidence. And he will deliver us, whether in death or through death. See, they knew the scriptures. They knew in Isaiah 43 that the Lord said, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flames will not set you on fire. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. My friends, you can't truly experience confidence until He is your confidence. So have you given all to God and His Son, Jesus Christ? You have to make a decision before calamity strikes to put your yes on the table before you even know the question. See, that's the picture of true confidence. That's the picture of true indestructibility. That I know that God will either deliver me in this life or deliver me through death. Our vision is so small sometimes. We think that this life is all there is. There is something else on the other side of death. And it is eternal life. That's the life that we must live for. Brings me to my final point, his presence. His presence is simply this. It's very interesting, isn't it, that... Shad, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar goes ahead and he sends uh, the soldiers up, you know, to, 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 to throw them in the furnace. And lo and behold, it's the soldiers who die, but it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who are kept alive. See, the fake king can't control his own people, but God can take care of his. And Nebuchadnezzar is looking into this brick furnace, and he is astonished and rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answers and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. See, Nebuchadnezzar said, What? He went from anger to astonishment. Lo and behold, how is this possible? Who is this fourth person? Well, it's the Lord himself. Either an angel or a picture of the pre-incarnate Christ who has come in the midst of the fire to walk with these three men. You know, I wonder, was the Lord being there and being manifested, was it for these three men or was it for Nebuchadnezzar? I don't know. The three guys already knew he'd be there with them. So maybe it was for Nebuchadnezzar and maybe it was for us. That we would take heart that even in 2,000 degree heat, the Lord would be with us and with him and watch us and protect us. See, Nebuchadnezzar was astonished because as powerful a man as he was, he understood that there was a limit to his power. But the God who Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego served, his power was limitless. Nebuchadnezzar came near the door and he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. And they came out. And the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the king's counselors, all of these 3,000 guys, came around them 
And they saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies, that the hair of their heads was not singed, and their cloaks were not harmed, and there was no smell of fire upon them. And Nebuchadnezzar confesses the truth. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than make uh, than uh, trust in me. Therefore I make a decree. Anyone who speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. How's that for capital punishment? And their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And they were uh, promoted. See, Nebuchadnezzar went from anger to astonishment to reverence. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego yielded their bodies to God. They didn't know that God was going to meet them in such a way in the furnace that they were going to be delivered. See, they had already said yes, regardless of the circumstances. That God will either deliver us in this furnace, or he will deliver us over death. How do you and I not fear the flames? How do you and I not fear death? How do you and I have confidence, regardless of the calamity that comes upon us? by making the decision that we are servants of the Most High, that we serve a different king in a different kingdom, and nothing is too difficult. As God says in Isaiah, that surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. Have you not known and have you not heard? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth that it is he that sits upon the circle of the earth and the inhabitants are like grasshoppers? He brings the princes to nothing, and he makes the judges of the earth a vanity. Hast thou not known and heard that the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, and neither is weary? He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall utterly fail, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not be faint. How can we trust? By acknowledging that He is our King. And He has sent us a Savior who walks before us. You know, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, at the end of the day, it's not about them. It's about Jesus Christ, who came to earth as a man, and yet chose to identify with God his Father amidst all of the suffering and the glory and might of the province of Rome. It was Jesus who had the confidence to stand before Pilate when Pilate said, don't you realize that I have the authority to either condemn you or set you free? And Jesus very confidently said, you have no authority over me. It's my Father that makes the decision what will happen to me. And it was Jesus who had the ability to walk through the fire, to go to the cross. But you see, he wasn't saved on this side of life, was he? He was sent to death. But much like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he emerged unscathed on the other side of the tomb because he is God and Savior. So the question is not whether we will bow to a king or not. The question is which king we will bow to. If we are Christians, we serve a different king and a different kingdom. And this king looks upon power in a different way. We don't have to have it all together. 
We don't have to be someone special. We don't have to have all the answers. We simply need the humility to say that you are my king. And my answer is yes before I even know the question. So this is your opportunity, my friends, to decide today. If you're a Christian, to get away from putting my chips on red and on black and to push it all on the Lord. It's the only way that you can have confidence when the calamity comes. Maybe you're not a Christian. You've got your chips on a host of different places. Or you've got your chips on one thing, but in the end you realize that it's going to fail you when you intersect with calamity. You have to decide who it is you will trust because we cannot control what's out there, but God can. Fear in the end cannot be controlled by conquering things out there. Fear will only be conquered by surrendering to God in here. And He is faithful, even in the furnace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this picture of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Servants of the Most High God, those who walked after Jesus the Christ, who demonstrated invincibility over death. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to be stronger, but to be weaker. Not to be more powerful, but to be more humble. To decide that all of our life, all of our confidence, indeed our identity, is on you. And so when calamity intersects with our identity, we will have faith to be able to stand in the midst of whatever this world throws our way. For you are with us, and you will not leave us or forsake us. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.